is Mickey Wright, and I want to welcome you to Beauty Superstars Talk, your backstage pass to experts in beauty. I believe success leaves clues, and if you want to be the best, you have to hang out with the best. This podcast allows you to do just that. I've spent my career as an award-winning hairstylist, independent educator, and salon coach who's helped tens of thousands to get more clients and make more money. I was also one of the first African-American owners of a full-service salon and day spa in the country. In short, I love beauty, business, and peeking backstage. If that sounds like you, I invite you to join me each week as I bring you the best and brightest Black artists and entrepreneurs in the beauty industry to share their stories, leave you with tips, tricks, and insights to take your business to the next level, and to take you backstage in their part of the industry. So if you're ready, let's go. Hello, my name is Mickey Wright. I want to welcome you all to Beauty Superstars Talk, your backstage pass to experts in beauty. So hello, beautiful people. Um, we have made it to December. Yay. <laughs> so one of the most wonderful things about the beauty industry are the lives that we get to touch and those that touch ours. Um, often we're part of, a, of every significant event in our clients' lives, from prom to weddings, having children, birthdays, caring for loved ones, unfortunately, even the deaths of some of their friends and family. And we have the opportunity each time we see them to impact their lives. So in that way, we are all life changers. Um, so go ahead and give yourself a big pat on the back because you indeed are a life changer. But this month is actually dedicated to four people who've made a significant impact on the beauty industry, whether it's on a local or national basis, by using their purpose, their passion, and their perseverance. And several have evolved themselves and their businesses through their own life experiences. And I can assure you that you will leave feeling pumped up and motivated as you hear their stories. Although I can't guarantee that you won't shed a few tears along the way. So we've made it here to December 2020. So it's a big hallelujah moment. Um, whether it's been good for you personally or not, it's probably been one of the toughest years nationally and globally, of course. Um, but if it's taught us anything, it's that life is about navigating whatever it brings whatever it brings us, whatever it throws at us, however it comes. And hopefully with a little grace and a little faith or a lot of faith. Um, so most of my guests this month have been tested with their own challenges well before COVID hit. And it's their resiliency <clears throat> to make lemonades out of lemon and everything they've done and are doing in the beauty industry that makes me want to honor them and for you to hear their stories. So my first guest is Mr. Chet Bennett, and he spent most of his life opening and running one of the best cosmetology and barber styling schools in the country. And he has uh, helped students, some of whom may have floundered or chosen a more dangerous career path without Mr. Bennett. He's continually bringing the latest technologies, expanding, adding new programs, even started a daycare as an extension of the school. And he's an extremely caring and giving man, and many credit him with their success um, and with their successful start in the industry. So then two years ago, Mr. Bennett was diagnosed with kidney disease and was in need of a transplant. And that type of news could take almost anybody out. But Mr. Bennett leaned even deeper into his faith. And there was a miracle. And so I'll let him tell you in his own words, but from there he started three businesses that I know of, maybe more. 
And uh, what lessons can we learn from this lifelong serial entrepreneur who has overcome so much? I have a feeling the list is very long. So I'm glad that you're here and you may want to grab your pen and paper and maybe even some tissues. <clears throat> but, um, before I formally introduce them and get started with hearing his story, I want to let you know why I'm excited and honored to be here. And each and every week I bring you some of the best and brightest black artists and entrepreneurs in the beauty industry to share their stories and take you backstage into their world. My name again is Mickey Wright, and I want to invite you to subscribe to our new Beauty Superstars Talk podcast, which is on Podbean right now and soon to be on your favorite podcast sites, including Apple, Spotify, and more. And if you're on YouTube with us, um, we invite you to subscribe and ring the bell so you won't miss an episode. Um, I actually started Beauty Superstars Talk as an opportunity to celebrate Black artists and entrepreneurs who are excelling in the beauty industry. Um, it's actually a way to preserve our history and to encourage entrepreneurship in our industry. So I've had the pleasure of doing almost everything you can do in the beauty industry, um, including becoming an award-winning hairstylist and educator, helping thousands of other stylists and salon owners to get more clients and make more money. I'm also second generation in the business with both my mom and sister in it as well. And I was one of the first African-American owners of a full service salon and day spa in the country. And you could basically say that I just love the beauty industry. So beauty, beauty superstars talk was actually born out of the unfortunate murder of George Floyd and the racial tensions that erupted right after. Um, it all quickly spilled into the beauty industry. And uh, if you are not aware, it's like after churches, it's still one of the most segregated industries in the country. And during that time, I actually had the honor to attend several Zoom calls where some top black artists were able to <coughs> meet each other and share their stories. And for many, there was pain over subtle and not so subtle racially charged events. But anyone on that call really didn't let it stop them. And I left there feeling so inspired and with a sense that people just have to hear these stories. Um, so I've expanded my platform to provide a safe space for black artists to tell their own stories. So we're here to inspire, to educate and to heal our beloved industry. And so without further ado, I wanna welcome my guest, Mr. Chet Bennett. And I wanna share just a little bit about him before we jump into hearing his story. So give me just a moment and we will share a little bit more about Mr. Bennett as he has had an amazing career and he's well known and has over 23 years of work experience in the cosmetology and barbering industry. In 2018, he was diagnosed with kidney failure and was on dialysis for a year while trying to pull the strength and will to continue his school and tend to its staff and students. Finding it hard to get up the strength, Mr. Bennett prayed for answers and wondered what was next. Soon a former student and mentee of his volunteered to be his kidney donor. And after receiving a successful kidney transplant, Mr. Bennett has dedicated his life to helping others with kidney disease. Thus, the C. Allen Foundation was established. The foundation's goal is to raise <clears throat> money to assist the kidney disease population by offering counseling, nutrition, toiletries, education, housing, transportation, and support. And the foundation activities will include, but are not limited to fundraising gatherings, pampering days, giveaways, and working with other organizations. Their main goal is to identify, educate, and assist those affected by kidney disease. And it's with great pleasure and great honor that I welcome my guest tonight, Mr. Chet Bennett. So welcome. 
Thank you. Thank you so much, Mickey. That was beautiful. Thank you. Yeah, I'm, I'm super excited that you're here. I've known you for a long time. I can't even remember when and where we met, but it's been a long time. And um, I've you know seen what you've done. You're in the Washington, D.C. area for anyone who's not familiar. And um, I want to start with your school. Like, how did you even get into the cosmetology barbering industry and what made you want to open a school? Because I think we're really top of my mind with, you know, the roots of this show as far as, you know, the education in our schools and how that can trickle up and feed our industry. Well, <clears throat> first, let me tell you, it's an honor and privilege. Can you hear me good? I can hear you. Yeah. It's an honor and a privilege to be here because I can remember in the uh, in the early 90s meeting you coming in to do a talk with Miss Alexander and the students at the Washington, D.C. Beauty Academy. Okay. And, and that is when I first met you in the late 90s. So uh, I'm excited to be here. So a little bit of my story in reference to starting a beauty school. Mm -hmm. uh, I graduated from Morehouse College. My degree was in religion. When I came home, I couldn't find a job. My goal was to become a college president. So I said, let me apply to Howard University or UDC or some local college and let me do financial aid because that's what I did as a work study student. There was a job in a beauty school. I never even knew that people went to a beauty school. There was a job in a beauty school for $7 an hour as a financial aid officer. I said, Mickey, there's no way in the world I'm going to take that job being a graduate from Morehouse College with Martin Luther King, Benjamin E. Mays, all these great people. Uh, I have friends getting $70,000 job offers. And here am I, a $7 an hour job. I said, there's no way under the sun. My pastor said to me, Bishop Alfred Owens, Greater Mount Calvary Holy Church, he said, Chet, take the job. You don't know what God has in store. So I said, you know what? Maybe so. I took the job at $7 an hour in September of 1992. Okay. So I'm telling my age. Okay. <laughs> 22 years old. Took the job September 1992. By November of that same year, I was promoted to director of admissions. Okay. In 1990. So what I did was in 1994, I decided to go back to Howard University to get my master's degree because I said, I'm getting out of here, out of this industry. I'm going back to Atlanta so I could work in some real college to become a college president. In 1994, I was also promoted as the school administrator, along with Miss Alexander, who was the director. So in 1996, Mickey, all the schools had, not all the schools, but the school had closed down. Hmm. And this, and I had just received my uh, uh, my my master's degree in education administration, and here I find myself unemployed. So I said to myself, I said, you know what? Those four years that I was training people to become uh, an entrepreneur in beauty and styling and barbering, I said, you know what? I could have took the course myself because here am I now with two degrees. I'm unemployed. It so happened that the students started calling saying, Mr. Bennett, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? The state board and the Higher Education Licensure Commission called and said, we're getting flooded with calls. They don't want to go to the other beauty schools. And they said to me, you know what? Why don't you think about opening the school? Now, Mickey, I'm 26. I said, nobody's going to listen to me. There's no way. And I want to go back to Atlanta. Remember, 1996 was the year the Olympics was in Atlanta. I'm trying to go back to Atlanta and I'm trying never to leave. And this is weird. I was jogging on the track of Howard University. 
And the spirit kept telling me the words, now is the time. And I kept hearing it over and over again in my head. I'm a very spiritual person. And I was just ignoring it because I'm like, okay, now's the time. Now's the time for what? So I came home one day and one of my friends, one of my uh, uh, buddies from Warhouse uh, moved to Paris, France, and he was a stockbroker. I'm sorry, he moved to London, England, and he was a stockbroker. He called me one day on the phone again. I said to him, I said, Kenny, would you believe that people are telling me that I should open a beauty school? Me, a beauty school? I'm not a hairdresser. You know, I love working there, you know, and I love helping people, but that's not what I want to do. And I'm telling the answer, God, truth, Mickey, his exact words from London, England to me. He said, Chet, if there was ever a time, now is the time. He said the same thing that the spirit has been telling me on the campus of Howard University doing my job. And once he said it, and he had no clue what the spirit was telling me, but he said the exact words, I decided right then and there that I would do whatever I can to open up the school. So the short version that everyone must understand is I didn't have any money. How am I going to open up a school? I had the experience for years, but I didn't have any money. It so happened that my mother had just won a lawsuit from the Federal Reserve Board of Governors for racial discrimination. She was a black lady who was training all of these young white professionals. Her, her desk was in the hallway and she would train these 20, 20 some year old folks who moved into these big offices and left her still in the hallway. So she eventually sued the government and she and she won. So we were in Jet, Ebony, all the places because no black person had ever sued the Federal Reserve Board of Governors and won a lawsuit. Because of that lawsuit, and it wasn't a whole lot of money, but I asked her, would you invest in me for me to open up Bennett Beauty Institute in the same place that DC Beauty Academy was? And that was in 1996 and the rest is history. Wow, <laughs> that's an incredible story just right there. Yes. And, 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 so, and many, so many lessons in it. Go on. Oh, absolutely. And one of the things that I would say to all of your viewers that uh, a lot of times we have to listen to that inner voice because that inner voice, because we all have the inner voice and the inner voice will tell us things. And a lot of times, you know, sometimes the inner voice, you know, it could be self. Sometimes it could be the spirit, but you got to be able to go into meditation so you can determine what is the real spirit and what is self-talking so you know what you need to do. And I'm not going to say that the road was easy because we started in 96. You have to be in operation for two, four years before you can even apply for accreditation. Mm -hmm. So we in 1998, we applied for accreditation. They didn't come until March of 1999. And we have been successfully accredited since 1999. Mm -hmm. okay. And that's something that I'm really excited about because a lot of black owned school, a lot of uh, black owners will come to me and I try to help them as much as possible because uh, getting accredited, ladies and gentlemen, means that now you can apply to the Department of Education for federal funding. Mm -hmm. And so it's important because a lot of times you need that federal funding because of the kind of students that are attracted to the school. A lot of them need uh, financial aid and financial assistance. Mm -hmm. So by having that, we were able to now go from, and I will never forget this, we went from five students, Miss Alexander, who just happened to retire this year, uh, last month. Yeah, she retired 42 years in the business wow. and whole time at the Bennett Career Institute. And uh, so it was just a situation where I just believe that, you know, you have to you have to you have to stick to your guns 
You have to be passionate about what you want to do. And the road is never going to be easy, but the reward is in the end. And I'm going to tell you this real quick. I'm going to jump all the way to now. And I'm going to let you go back. But let me just say this. When COVID happened and the Bennett Career Institute was closed because I make products, what kept me afloat, I was an unemployment like everyone else. What kept me afloat was my graduates was investing back in me and my business with the hand sanitizers and the products and stuff I, I make. They kept me busy throughout the entire pandemic. So I was able to still make additional money and get some help along the way. And all, a lot of that has to do with how you treat people. And that's why on all my hashtags, I say it's nice to be nice because you would never know how someone that you may have helped will turn around and be the blessing for you in the time that you needed it the most. So I'm just so appreciative and I just thank you for having me on today. Yeah. Yeah. It's like that. There's so many nuggets in that story that, you know, like you said, the, the being willing to, to take the next step and, and all of that. But it's like one of the first things I heard was, you know, you got after getting this degree from Morehouse, you know, a prestigious university, mm -hmm. like you say, Dr. Martin Luther King graduated from there. And then you have a seven dollar and twenty five cents an hour offer job offer. And that's the only offer. And yes. <laughs> it's like the ego, I mean, can definitely take over in that place. And, you know, it's like it may have totally guided you away from what God had in store for you. So just that message that a lot of times we got to get out of that ego and out of our head and say, it's like, okay. <laughs> Absolutely. Because I think about it. And a lot of times, and somebody that may be listening to us now, you know, will be approached with something that they feel as though that they are much higher than that, that they are much more worthier than that. But a lot of times I tell people, Mickey, that if you don't work, you don't eat. That's scripture. You know what I'm saying? If a man doesn't work, he doesn't eat. So it is important for us to always know that you got to have humble beginnings. You're never going to start. You should, to me, I'm not going to say you're never going to start at the top, but it is a pleasure and it is and it is a joy to know when you started something on the ground and to see how it can grow. Because remember, we started. 1996 on Rhode Island Avenue in the shopping center above the Popeyes and Ashley Stewart. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, I have a 30,000 square foot facility building that I own in the heart of Catholic University. Mm -hmm. Black family owned business right there where we take up a whole block. So to me, I'm just so grateful because it's all about following your plan. Everyone that's listening, you got to have a plan, baby, because when you think about it in your head, it's just a thought. You have to write that down. You have to put that on paper. You have to breathe that to life. And once you breathe it to life, you cultivate it and cultivate it and you watch it grow. But it's all about how you treat people. You got to treat people right. You know what's so funny, Mickey? What's funny was when I first started, my mother said to me, Chet, there's no way that we can stay in business with you having $10,000 credit cards a month on American Express and stuff because I had the big head syndrome. I'm the beauty school owner, baby. I'm sitting in, on uh, Connecticut Avenue having, having power lunches because I became in 98 the NCA president, National College Association president of Washington, so you couldn't tell me nothing. So I'm having power lunches and all this kind of stuff and spending all this money. And then my mother set me down and said, baby, this is not going to work. So then I had to pull myself back and realize that you got to grind. 
You know what I'm saying? So I believe that all of us at one time or another may get that big head syndrome, but you got to really understand, especially if you're going to be in the beauty industry, we're servants. We're here to service people. Right. So you can't have no attitude. You can't have no big head, baby, if you're talking about servicing other people. And so I had to kind of learn those lessons along the way, because again, you know, the only jobs I ever had was internships because the first job I really got was Washington, D.C. beauty care. Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yes, definitely. That whole big head will get you into a lot of trouble, you know, whether Absolutely. it's that, whether it's running off clients, you know, all kinds all of things and going down a path that's not even your path. You know, hello. <laughs> and, and you know, what's so funny, what's so funny is one of the one of the themes over the years have always been people come to me and say my passion is to be a hairstylist, but my mother made me go to college. My passion is to be a barber, but my father said, "No, uh, 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 that's not a that's not a viable career." Mm -hmm. And I and I like to tell people, I have a a, a bachelor's from How uh, uh, Morehouse, I have a master's from Howard University. But what has made me my money is that cosmetology instructor's license that's on the wall. That's what made me the money. And so I'm I'm I would never tell people not to go to college because it was a wonderful experience and I will never forget it. But also you have to understand the talent and the abilities that you have. God gave all of us something different in our hands. That's why if you do a fingerprint, I'll, my fingerprint will never match your fingerprint because God made you special. So what's important is to go in your meditation closet and figure out what is it that you're supposed to do out of life. And I tell people, if it's something that you can do where you don't ever have to get paid, you enjoy doing it, you can you sleep, eat and breathe it, baby, maybe that's your passion. Maybe that that is what you're supposed to be doing. And I think it's important for everybody to not keep listening to the naysayers and the other people. You know what you know what you're supposed to do. Mm -hmm. After a while, you get it. And then if you don't get it, then sometimes you have to try to dibble and dabble in things until the spirit leads you in the right direction. But I'm just glad that I learned, my, I got my passion early mm -hmm. and, and been doing it early. And I'm just really excited about it. I love the beauty industry. Love it. Yeah. And it's and, been good to me. Yeah. And, and you are the president of a college. So. Okay. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Dream realized. Just a Amen. Amen. But, but also, what's, what's that bridge between doing hair is my passion and actually putting in the work to actually make it into a career, make it into something that is sustainable over the years? Yeah. Well, that's I think that whole little passion thing to me is like, oh, yeah, I'm passionate until it's hard. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I think that there are times where we have to make sure that we find other coping mechanisms, that we find other outlets, because oftentimes we're going to be tested and we're going to be tried. And even though we feel that it's our passion, but then when the money start getting low, when the clients start getting on our nerves, when the clients disappear, when you try to figure out, do I need to get a part time job somewhere? To me, I like to tell my people that it's about reinventing yourself. Mm -hmm. What I have done over the years is I've stopped doing hair back in the early 2000s, because I said to myself, I came into this as a business venture, but Ann Ratner, the owner of the hair cutters, said to me, 
She says, Chet, if you're going to be in this business, you need to know the business through and through. You need to go to beauty school. You need to get your license. And what I did when I opened Bennett Career, Bennett Beauty, I'm sorry, Bennett Beauty then. When I opened the Bennett Beauty Institute, the first thing I did, Mickey, was I went to night school because I had to know the experience. I had to experience it for myself. So guess what? In my book, My Business is the Beauty Business, I tell everyone, if you want to be in this business, you need to go to school. Mm-hmm. And I find people who are lawyers, I find people with several degrees, and they look at me like I'm crazy. Oh, how hard is that to run a beauty salon? How hard is that to be in the beauty industry? You won't find out, sweetie, until it happens. Right. right and even right. to this day, 2020, I still have to counsel people and let them know you need to enter the program because you need to know what you're doing. People may not understand this, everyone. Right. But you know, we are some funny kind of people. <laughs> These creative hairstylists oh, and barbers yeah. and makeup oh, yeah. artists and all these tattoo artists and all that. We have a funny kind of bunch, you know. Anytime mm-hmm. you see a hairstylist, she may have on a wig today. She may have a bald head tomorrow. She may have blonde hair Thursday. She may have red hair Friday. She may have green hair on Saturday. Baby, it's one of these things where, you know, we're creative. We're right. artists. And so what's important is a lot of people who leave, who, a lot of people that's not in the beauty industry and open up a salon, they have no clue our, our temperament. They have no clue how we operate. So because of that, they end up losing their business because they thought it was so easy. How hard can it be to open up a hair salon or barbershop? But baby, if you don't know the, if you don't know the details of the beauty industry, then I don't think it's something for you to do. So, so part of what I would say to you is that a lot of times it's their passion, but guess what? We all get tried in the fire. We all have to reinvent ourselves. You know what I told hairstylists and barbers with hairstylists during COVID? I told them, I said, listen, you didn't get your license from Sears and Roebuck, sweetie. We went through the whole entire 1500 hour in a textbook. In, in the first chapter of the Milady book, it tells us the array of things that we can do with <laughs> our license. So it's not about just being behind the chair. I told a lot of the styles, why aren't you making wigs? Why aren't you making pieces? Right. I tell the barbers, why aren't you doing male units? What's right. going on with uh, uh, makeup, facials? What are the different things that you can do? Because we know how to do pretty much everything. What about making products? So you got to sometimes you got to evaluate and look at your audience and see what are the other things that I can do? Because one thing that I teach is multiple streams of income. Mm-hmm. So you can't bank everything from being behind the chair because you're going to be tested. And one day you won't be able to go behind the chair, but you still got to pay that light bill because Pepco is calling. Right. So it's important for you to diversify yourself, to do multiple streams of income and to tap into what else can you do that's amazing. Right. Right. Yeah. And I think the clients come to us for so much more than just what we do with our hands that we forget or don't realize it's like, oh, okay. They want that connection. They want, you know, the, the instruction Absolutely. that we can give them. It's like, like you say, it's like, we can do a wig for them. We can do all of these things. Mm-hmm. The thing that you mentioned with, um, you know, you're making it through was with the products and we just finished up, you know, winning at the retail game month, because I think it's so important that we start to embrace that part of the industry, which most, you know, hairstylists still tend to say, it's like, oh, well, I'm not a salesperson. I don't do all of that. I don't know that. And and it just, and to me, it just really makes no sense. First of all, I just believe that, well, one, people need to get out because it wasn't until I started traveling mm-hmm. where, I, where I discovered that a lot of salons 
they make 40, sometimes 60% of their revenue through the retail. Right. And I say to our black stylists, what are you so scared about? Why in the world would you become a doctor, a barber or cosmetology? But then you send, you give them a prescription and send them somewhere else. What kind of sense does that make? What kind of sense does that make for you to send them to the beauty supply store to get something when you can have it right here? What kind of sense does that make for you to tell them, oh, well, you need to go and get so-and-so. So, no, sweetie, here's what you need to take with you. And we'll ring you up at the front desk. And they're going to appreciate their stylist more because their stylist was able to help them and give them the guidance. Because, Mickey, no matter how much we love clients to come to us every week, a lot of people do not have that in their budget. But we still want them to maintain the healthiness of their hair until we see them again. Absolutely. Oh, don't, don't you hate those clients who come back after two months, their hair raggedy, is breaking off, they need a relaxing real bad thing to come. We call it a Christmas tree because okay. it's because we lighten up everything on the ticket. Okay. So everything is lit up on the ticket. But if you educate them mm -hmm. and teach them how to maintain doing visits and give them the products that they need through the retail, then you have, and then it's easier for you when they come back in. You go, oh, here we go, baby. Let's go to the bowl because they 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 were able to still maintain their hair. Absolutely. And I think that if there's any stylist that's listening, it's important for you. I tell my people, what about the take home kit? What about the travel kit? When you know that stylists are going out of town, you make you some oil. You know, you get your little brush and comb set. You know, you come up with your shampoo and leave in condition and things. And a lot of stuff, Mickey, people say to me, I can't believe that you make your own products. But guess what? A lot of the basics is right in our cosmetology textbook. Okay. <laughs> it's right there. Right, right. Yeah. So it's important. It's just important for us to just realize how important retail is, how important for everything to be a one-stop shop. When someone comes to your place of business, how in the world are they coming for a weave and you don't have a hat? That makes no sense to me. <laughs> right, right. Well, now everything is is kind of bring your own, shampoo your own hair, braid it up the right way, don't blow dry it the wrong way, or I'm yes, not going to yes. use and I'm like, what? <laughs> yes. And then this is the crazy part. This is the new thing that I'm just trying to get a grasp of. People saying they don't. Uh, people say, oh, I need a um, a two B. I need a three C. I need a four D. I'm trying to figure out well, what in the world is all of that? <laughs> oh, this is what I use. I use a five D. I don't know anything like that, sweetie. I know color, and I know how to break down the color, and I can be able to help you figure out what's the best color for you. Right. But so, but it's just. Things are just different now. It's just different. It is. It is. And we want to keep it. I mean, different is good, but it's like we want to keep it evolving so that it's like the profession stays professional. Yeah. And it's like that is a wonderful career and we want to keep it that way. So I, I think, think no. And I think that the important thing is everyone still need to remember that the basics will never disappear. Exactly. So you need to go to beauty school so you can learn how to do finger waves. Finger waves will never go away. It may slightly damp and come right back. It may do, but the important thing is everything comes back around and around and around. And I feel sorry for a lot of schools now, calling no name, they focus so much on weaving. Weaving to me is not a, a real hairstylist. Right. It's right. easy, you know what I'm saying? 
To mm-hmm. me, I need you. I need you to do them figure six and the figure eight. I need you to work them coconut curls. I need to understand how you're doing on base and off base. I need you to get a lady who got a big, big fat round head. And what are you going to do? You're going to give her some height so she can have the appearance of an oval shape. All of this we get out of the textbook. So all of you all just want to weave all day and braid and then weave. That's great. I'm not knocking it. But I want you to learn everything in the industry because I want you to still be able to do grandma. There's some schools that don't even teach you how to do ethnic hair. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry, over curly hair. And right. because of that, you can't even do your own grandma. You can yeah. cut real good. You can color real good. But then grandma say, baby, give me a press and curl. It's a done deal. Right, right. But you just yeah. paid $20,000. Yeah, true. Yeah, it's very expensive these days. But but talk to us, it's like you went there. So talk to us, it's like, you know, the words diversity and inclusion are really big in our industry right now. And I actually just um, met with a young lady who's doing some other things for the industry. She's not in the industry. She's a tech person relocated from an area that has a lot of, you know, salons that she could go to as a black woman mm-hmm. and to an area where there aren't very many blacks or very many black salons at that and just had a horrific time. And she's like, I can't believe that they're telling me that they never got any training on black hair, you know, which there isn't even black hair, but textured hair. And so what are your thoughts, you know, being a school owner and seeing what's going on now versus before? Very good. One of the things that I try to tell all the African-American stylists and barbers that the importance of one of the things that we do here in Washington, the Bennett Career Institute is certified to do continued education unit training. And normally I go to the convention center. We were scheduled, listen to this, we were scheduled to go to the convention center March the 15th. They closed the city down March 13th. So imagine what I went through and I had over 800 people registered to come to the convention center for their CEUs. But one of the things that I would say, and I have said it over and over again, a lot of black schools in the day, only they only would give you an African-American mannequin and they only really taught you how to do your hair. One of the things about the Bennett Career Institute, ever since 2005, when we moved, because we were that way on Rhode Island Avenue. In 2005, when we moved to the Catholic University area, we had to make sure that we had to have diversity training. We had to know we gave everybody Caucasian, I'm sorry, straight mannequins as well as over curly mannequins. Mm -hmm. We made sure that we went on the campus of Catholic University to to admonish and to bring those guys over there so we can cut their hair, to bring the ladies over there and then have people to come and train us on how to do straight textured hair. It is important that even, and let's even go to the salons. Uh, Now that is gentrification, there are a lot of salons that are having a difficult time because in this area, most of the African-Americans have now moved on to Maryland because it's very difficult and sometimes truly expensive to live in the District of Columbia. So when they go to Maryland, guess what? They, they, their clients go to Maryland and they go to, into the Maryland salons. And I've noticed that C. Allen Signature, my salon, before I gave it to Dr. Williams for the kidney, I was half and half. I was about 50% African-American, 50% Caucasian. And what I try to tell everyone is you got to reinvent yourself. And it starts with your look. Why do we still have the old timey barbershop? And and some of you listen to me right now. You know you in that hair salon that has not been renovated since the 50s and 60s. I'm not going to say it's the devil. What I'm going to (laughs) say is, is that you have to evolve. 
You have to cater to your audience. One of the things, Mickey, that we tell people when they go into business, you got to do market research. Yeah. You have you have to you have to understand what your demographics are. You have to know what's going on, even in Southeast D.C. I was over in Southeast and I see white folk walking down the street. Mm -hmm. So what I'm telling you is, is that if you don't know how to do straight hair, it is it's, it's mandatory for us to get CEUs. What you're supposed to do is you're supposed to admonish the people that you go get training from to say, hey, this is what I'm lacking in. Can you teach me how to cut straight hair? Can you teach me how to do X, Y, and Z? So the important thing is everyone has to revive their curriculum to include everyone. Mm -hmm. Because even if you're still in a black area, it's not going to be black forever, sweetie. Trust me. Mm -hmm. And you want to be able to know how to do everything. Yeah. So it's important for you to take advanced classes. It's important for you to take continuing education. It's important for you to hook up with other people that do not look like you and barter sometimes. You know what I did one day? Um, I'm trying to think, of, and I can't think of her name. Barbara. I haven't been behind a chair in years. I went to Barbara at, on U Street and I said, Barbara, can you come in and do some advanced cutting classes with me? Because I knew I was getting stale. What we have to do in this industry is that we got to continue to revive ourselves. You know, I even went to New York and took a couple of classes doing straight hair because I wanted to make sure that I was on point. So when my next door neighbor, I'm right now, I'm the only one on the block that looked like me. But I was, but when I came here, everybody looked like me. Now I'm the only one on the block that's left that looks like me. So when my neighbors want a trim or they're asking questions and all of this, I'm able to answer all that fully because I went beyond the call of duty. So I say to say, oh, everyone that's crying and complaining about why I got to pay for CEUs and why I got to do this, beauty education never ends. You have to con you have to go to places like uh, Mickey Wright Beauty Superstars. You got to go to Bronner Brothers. You have to go to IBS. You have to go to Premier. You have to go. It's about investing in your industry. I feel sorry for the people who are in these suites. And, and it's nothing wrong with suites. Don't get me wrong. But it's, it is something wrong with it when you don't get out. You're so busy doing the same clients, the same hairstyles, over the same hairstyles over and over again because that's all you know. Baby, you have to go to class. You know what I'm doing, Mickey and Jeremy? I'm excited about We ain't talked about it yet. We're going to get to it. I know you are. But I'm going to culinary art school. I've been cooking all my life, but I said, I want to know what a knife set is. I want to know how to sauces and, and, you know, how to know the difference with seasons and stuff. We have to get to the place, Mickey, where if we're going to be in the beauty industry, and I'm talking to that 56 year old, if we're going to be in the beauty industry and we're going to stay and retire in the industry, we have to reinvent ourselves and we have to get more education. How in the world do you think that you'd have been to beauty school 30 years ago and can't nobody tell you nothing. That makes no sense to me. Right, right. And every six months, the styles are changing anyway. Absolutely. You know, I remember when the um, when they first started doing balayage and someone came in and asked, I'm like, okay, I'm going to kind of fudge my way through this. But it's like, I had to take some classes and find out, you know, what's the, a clear, clear, clean application that'll make it quick and fast and I'll know what the results are going to be when Absolutely. I finish rather than like, I really hope this comes out, you know. <laughs> but Absolutely. 
it's all about we have to continue to further our education in almost any field that we're in. Yes. You know, there comes a time when you have to you have to do it. You gotta reinvent yourself. You have to know what's going on. And the the the, the crazy thing, Mickey, was this was the year during the CEU conference that we had purchased mannequins, mannequin stands and all of that. We were doing hands on. We were showing the 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 folks that do not know how to do over curly hair, mm -hmm. we was going to teach them. And the folks that do not know how to do straight hair, we were going to teach them. So we had diversity, man, we had we had all kind of mannequins that we were going to use to actually do hands on because what I said, Mickey, is a lot of people don't want all of this. Right. They want you to show them how to do it. Yeah. So we had a lab with Jamal Edmonds was one, Acia Williams was another one, was going to be in, in Vernon Martin. They were going to be in the lab doing nothing but showing people how to do whatever they wanted. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. we have to find a way to get the people to get updated on how to do the latest styles and trends if you want to stay relevant in the industry. Right. right. Yeah. And, and I think there's been so much transition in the industry, like to natural hair, which some people embrace and some people don't. Uh -huh. You're like, oh, business is falling off because I'm not embracing it. It's like and so, you know, either learning those skills or learning some other skill sets so that you can transfer into, you know, like you say, other um, ethnicities or other hair textures. You know, it's like color is really big. And so there's all these different kind of little avenues that you can take and and reinvent. You know, and you know, and I'm glad you said that. I'm glad you said that because when we were at Sea Island Signature, which is directly around the corner from Howard University, okay. we okay. started noticing how the clientele started dropping. Ask me why. Why? Because everyone was going natural. And listen, I'm not trying to offend nobody, but baby, I saw a whole lot of kizzies on Howard's campus. Mm -hmm. I saw a whole lot of folk who would actually do two cornrows going back, and that was it. I've seen people to come out and just have a bush ball on their head, and they wasn't coming to the salons. But guess what, Mickey? What we had to do was we had to hit the streets, and we had to educate you. Sweetheart, just because you're going natural doesn't mean that you can't get a trim. Just be because guess what? You say, oh, I'm natural. I don't want to cut my hair. What happens when you get trichopatillosis, which is split ends? It's going right. to continue to continue until it breaks off. So right. what you got to understand is even with your natural hair, sweetheart, you need to come into the salon so we can give you a good shampoo, a good blow dry, and a good trim if you don't want anything else. Mickey, I can't believe the girls will come in and say, I don't want nothing in my hand, no oil, no anything. Okay, well, we learned, listen, we learned years ago with the Dudley pressing cream, baby, you put a little dime of that in that hand, and while that hair is wet, you massage it. By the time you blow dry, that hair is shiny, it's beautiful, it's fabulous, and the girl had no clue that, yes, you got oil in there, sweetie, but she doesn't believe it, but it's okay. But as professionals, right. we know what we have to do in order to get that in order to get that desired look. So that's why it's important that when different things, people say, oh, but it's crazy. Everybody going natural. But it's OK, because what you have to do is you have to be creative. And let me tell you what I did. What I did was they come in. I just want to trim because we convinced them to do trims and stuff. What I did was, Mickey, which I, I tell people all the time, you have to look in your salon and see if there's any dead space. What can you do with that dead space to, to, to get some income going? You know what we did? We went and bought high-tech steamers, and we called it the hydration station. Yes. 
So yep. all of you who say I'm natural, but guess what? You need a hydration treatment for that natural hair. So it can be more manageable for you since you want to do it yourself. At least come in twice a month and get a deep, well, we, our day was deep conditioning. My day now is a, is a hydrosting treatment. Right. You see what I'm saying? Because right. you got to be creative. You have to come up with ways that is going to appeal to that, that, that particular population, knowing that they're saying, oh, I do my own hair. I'm going natural. Okay, sweetie, but going natural, there's some things that we have to do. And I really love the folks that say they're going natural and they got color in their hair because we all know that's not natural. <laughs> well, well, I like that even better, actually. <laughs> Absolutely. 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 Because now if we don't treat that color treated hair, you know what's going to happen. Yep. So, yep. so we have to find ways to continue to reinvent ourselves and have our people still come to us so we can remain relevant. Yes. Yeah. And the education part, like you said, it's like we got to educate the clients on what is natural hair, what needs to be done, what doesn't need to be done, because there's so much misinformation. It's like, come in and let's look at your particular hair. Let's give you a nice little analysis and see where you are and what you need. Because on you know YouTube and various things, it's like there's a lot of good information, but a lot of times it doesn't pertain to your texture of hair. And so then no. personalizing those services. Absolutely. And people must understand that one of the biggest ways to gain a clientele that people were to ask, it's about the consultation, baby. It's about you educating. <laughs> oh, don't get me started. Now. Get me started. <laughs> Let me fall back. Let me fall back. No, no. Nope, nope. Go ahead. Go for but it. That, but, but that's the most important thing. You have to be able. And a lot of and now that it's COVID, this is even a better time because you're not super booked and all of that. You have to sit down. Let me tell you what I do, Mickey, what I used to do. Please. I will pull that. I will pull that stool over. Mm -hmm. And I will sit in front of you eye to eye. I'm not up here. Now I'm right here. And I'm sitting in front of you eye to eye as the doctor professional that I am. And I begin to tell you, I'm analyzing your hair and I'm telling you all about it. And one thing I know is people want to believe what they hear from the professional. And it is important for us to be able to get that client and explain to them. And, and you know, and let's do a, a couple of tests. Let's do a porosity test so we can see the ability to absorb moisture so we can see, you know, the density of the hair so we can have a real good conversation with them. We need to do the elasticity test. We need to be able to take a strand and stretch it and see how far it can come, stretch and come back. If it pops instantly, then you know that there is an elasticity Problem. You got to take it back old school when you do your consultation. And while you're doing your consultation, you're talking to them. Sometimes I turn them around in the mirror and I begin to show them their hat and show them what's going on. But I'm having a conversation and then I'm telling them now, you need to get this because this is going to do so and so, such and such. Now, you need to get this because this is going to do so and so, such and such. And then we even go into before we do the shampoo, what are the different types of shampoos? Why is it important that I do a clarifying shampoo? shampoo with you before we begin to do anything else. If you break that down to them, they're going to believe you, they're going to trust you, and they're going to be with you forever. The biggest thing that my clients that, you know, I don't do anyone anymore, but the biggest thing is they used to say was, I used to love our conversations. Why? Because I was teaching them along the way. I'm not, I have a problem with hairstylists who hide their products. And 
You gonna give somebody a short haircut and not tell them how to mold and wrap their hair, not tell them how to hold on. They go to the hair salon on Tuesday, sweetie, sir, that you would never even know they went to the hair salon. No curl, no nothing, but you didn't tell them how to maintain their hair. We have to change the game and we have to go back to the basics. If you want clients to continue to come to you, you have to educate the client. You just can't come in. And it's amazing to me how people come in, even with the barbers. Let me just say this for a second. I have a problem going into a barbershop, spending my money. And you say, haircut, you drape me. You say, how's your day going? I'm fine. And then you start talking to someone else or you just continue to cut. And then the next thing you know, you take your cape on. What kind of connection did we make that make me want to come back to you? If you did, and I have a ball hand, which means that I don't have nothing extraordinary for me to say, well, I got to come back to this person. You have to be able, and I tell this, and it's also in my book, Nikki, I tell them sometimes with a new client, you got to jot a little something down if you're real busy. And if you're mind like mine, you're going to forget stuff. Jot a little something down because guess what? Let me tell you what happened. So when Mickey come back to me for the second time, and I know that she's coming. I already saw the book, already saw when she was here, and she came because she was going to her sister graduation. When Mickey come back and sit in the chair and say, oh, Ben, it's good to see you again. Girl, how was their graduation? Oh, that was the last time I was here. I was going to my sister graduation. Oh, you remember that? You yep. got him. You yep. got him. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're not lying, and you're not being pretentious or anything, but there are ways that we have to do to engage with the client. When we talk to each other, when we're on that phone, on that earpiece the whole time, and we're not engaging with the people, and then you get an attitude when they sit in somebody else's chair or they go to the salon down the street, that's because you didn't do no connection. It's a connection. Absolutely. Let me just ask you this. It's like with, you know, you were talking about the consultation and the importance of it. Have you ever had someone um, tell you, like, even before you get to the bowl or when you get to the bowl that they want to come back for next time? Absolutely. What happens a lot of times is once we finish the consultation, they say, mm, I'm glad I came. Oh, yeah. I got to tell my friends about you. You taught me so much. Oh, yeah. Come on. Let's go. And then, and then at the shampoo bowl, it's a seal the deal session. I tell people all the time, when we shampoo, it's the balls of the fingertips. We're not scratching. We're not using no nails. This right here is what's going to get us that money from that person behind the chair. Right. We are we're using our hands and we know about manipulations and different manipulations for us to use in order to, and for me being a big black man, oh, I know do you back in the boat, you oh. Oh, it's because I know what to do. You see what I'm saying? Right. And yeah. do you know, Nikki, that most people, not most people, some people can really do their hair. People have yes. said to me, I'm here because I need a good shampoo. Yes. I'm here because my hair dirty and I can't really get it the way I want to. So that's why I really came. I really needed a good cleansing. And that's why it's important. It bothers me with new stylists take people back to the bowl and they do all like this. And then they say, come on, ma'am, you read? Oh, no, baby, I'm going to send you to another level at that back bowl, baby. Okay. <laughs> baby, I got to get up in there. I got to maybe let you know that you are appreciated. Yes. And I want you to come back. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think most people make their decision if they're going to come back probably in that first 10, 15 minutes. Absolutely. So if, whether it's the consultation or at the bowl. 
And you know what's so funny? What's funny is for me, and I tell this, people say I, I shouldn't say it, but you know, I tell it all, don't matter. <laughs> I, I wasn't the best. I wasn't the best because I went to beauty school because I owned the school. Right, right. Hair was never a passion of mine. My passion was to help people and change lives. It was never doing hair. But guess what, Mickey? You're right. They made that decision the first 10, 15 minutes, and they were settled with whatever. Now, I did the best I could. And then I realized what I did good was relaxers and sets and wet work. So I tried to do all wet work. Now, I love back in the day my Kazuri irons, baby. You couldn't tell me nothing. <laughs> They're Kazuri irons. Now, you couldn't tell me nothing here. But I realized that I was scared to death I was going to hurt somebody or, 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 or um, what you call it, burn someone. Right, so right. I stood with the rollers and all that. But guess what I did, Nikki? I was able to use the rollers that once I finished, you still had those roll curls. You know, that was that was out of oh, yeah. roll curls and all that. Because I knew what to do, baby. You put them blue rollers at the bottom. And then you put the yellow rollers in. Then you come up with the green rollers. So it's, uh, you know what I'm saying? Come right, on. right. So the you know what I'm saying. So the important thing is, is that I had to use my talent and ability through speaking to right. get to people. And guess what? People laugh when I tell the story, but it's true. And Mickey to seal the deal when they were under the dryer with that set. I would get on my hands and knees and give them a foot massage. Yeah. And most of my folks, most of my folks, folks was church women who ain't had no man to get on your knees, these big black knees, and give you a foot massage. Oh, baby, it's a done deal. We'll see you next week, Miss Johnson. All right, thank you, baby. It was a done deal. And that's and that's what I'm telling the listeners now, the viewers now. You have to find what is your what is your uh, uh, what what are your specialties. What are your what are your positive things that you can do to bring that person back? Because what but you know what I really realized? I'm gonna stop talking, but what I really realized was when you just focus on them, yeah. That was one of the most important things. You ain't do no talking. The phone ain't wrong since you've been on the phone. It ain't wrong. It's important for you to focus on that individual in the chair. And if you did that and made them feel special every time they came in the door, and now with COVID, you got everything from shields and all kinds of stuff around you. This is your opportunity to seal that deal with that client because if the client can trust you and the client has been educated by you and they and they okay with their hair, it's decent for them for, for the two weeks or whatever, it's a done deal. Mm-hmm. And when are we going to understand that? How are you going to have an attitude in this industry, sweetie? That makes no sense to me. How are you going to put somebody in the chair and talk to the baby father on the phone the whole time? That makes no sense to me. How are you going to keep stopping and taking calls from other clients who come in? That makes no sense to me. You got to understand that that $50, $40, I don't care if it's $22, that's $22 times whatever, times whatever, that's going to do something amazing for you. And the best thing, I'm going to stop after this, the best thing is holiday time. Oh, do I miss being a stylist doing Christmas baby? Oh, oh. <laughs> because that is when, a lot of times they do it outside of Christmas, but the important thing is, is they showing their appreciation because you showed appreciation. And I tell the male stylists, you women don't say it, Mickey, but I tell the male stylists, if you go to the bathroom, when you come out the bathroom, you do this in front of your client. Mm -hmm. Because in the back of your client, Mickey, in the back of your head, you saying, did Bennett wash his hands? He just <laughs> his hands. Sometimes you got to do that. 
Mm-hmm. But sometimes you right. got to do things to make it obvious so that people right. won't have to ask. Right. See, my mother was my first client. The first thing she said, boy, you wash them hands. <laughs> it's important. <laughs> so it's important for you to do right. the little things to make sure that the client is being satisfied. That's why you're supposed to get a little refrigerator and offer them some water. You can get a big case from Costco for 3 or $4. Right. It's important to make sure that you cater to the people that you're there to serve. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you raised like a really important um, point and we'll, you know, go into some other things as well, but with, making sure like that they see you drying your hand, you know, that you wash your hands and all that. It's the same thing with COVID right now with making sure that they see you sanitizing, that you're putting that on social media because it's like, we may have been doing it all along, but they don't know it because we've just been doing it. And so making sure that they, you know, know it's like, okay, yep. After you get out of this seat, we're spraying everything down, making sure that everything is good for the next person. When we go over here, this is all laid out or, you know, it's like we're taking your temperature, whatever it is to make sure that you make a point of making sure that they know that you're taking care of them. And you know what we do at the Benicare Institute and I did this on purpose. Not only do we have shields between each station, But a lot of times we work out of two stations. One client will go to this station. And when we finish, we take the next client at the other station. Then we come back and sanitize there. And we let the client watch us sanitize and clean. We use disposable capes. You know, we do temperature checks at the door. We do it. They fill out the information for contact tracing in case, you know, they have the unfortunate experience to get the virus. We're able to to know who was the people. Even at the Medical Institute, we don't cross-contaminate. We don't let uh, college students go in the barber area anymore. Freshmen Mm -hmm. can't go in the freshman barber room anymore. We have to keep everybody isolated together. And then we're doing hybrid learning where they only come into the building two days a week. Mm-hmm. And we only take appointments. So this way, we don't do a whole lot of walk-ins. It's like, and Mickey, trust me when I tell you, it is so different now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. compared to how it used to be. Then at Career Institute, we used to serve at least 500 clients a week. Now we, we may do 50. Wow. Maybe 50. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> That's significant. <laughs> Absolutely. And you still got bills to pay and the mortgage not changing and all that kind of stuff. But to me, I just feel like that things happen, ladies and gentlemen, in our lives for a reason. And things happen, some reason, some season. What we have to do is no one would have never thought that we would be in the midst of a pandemic, something that hasn't happened in 100 years. No one would have never thought. But we have to remember, we have to remain vigilant. We also have to take precautions. We have to make sure that we have that mask on. We have to make sure that we're washing those hands. We have to make sure the hand sanitizers are out. We have to make sure that we have face shields as well as face masks. We have to make sure that we take our time and not put our lives in jeopardy to serve as clients. I have a problem with all of this home styling and all this kind of stuff. I understand that we have to do what we have to do. I got that. But your your health is more important. And this is why I've been preaching for years about multiple streams of income. Sometimes you got to be creative and do different things. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? But it's important that we make sure that we do what we need to do in order to survive. What I did, Mickey, I applied for every grant in the world and from Facebook on down. And guess what? I received them. And how you monitor your money and how you're able to make sure that you're doing the important thing because you not only have family, but you also are, you know, one of the things that's even on the state board examination, Mm -hmm. 
And that is for cosmetologists and barbers, the the the, the welfare and, and the, the health and welfare of the client should be our most concern. Mm-hmm. That's what we should be concerned about more than anything. Right. We have a license to touch someone. That's really big. Because if you go and touch somebody now if you want to, it's assault and you'll butt going to jail. But we have a license that we can put our hands on someone else. And because of that, we have to go by every precaution that we can to make sure that the people are safe. Yes. Yeah. And that's really the only reason they have licenses Absolutely. is to protect the public. And so that's, our, that's what we're charged with. You know, we're Absolutely. getting licenses like to protect everyone, including ourselves. Including ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's a good segue into, um, you know, your health challenges. It's like I wanted to, you know, explore some of that with you because I know that hit. I mean, I can't imagine that you saw that coming either. So um, can you tell us a little bit as far as your experience? Absolutely. So when I was when I was I was a person where I'm a person who loved to eat. And I love the spicy food, seasoned food. You know, I'm a comfort eating kind of person. You know, I can eat the uh, the macaroni cheese, collard greens, all that kind of stuff. And when I moved to Atlanta, you know, it was like that was all that was in the South, was all that food, using a lot of butter, lard, all that kind of stuff. So eventually I developed gout. And gout is a buildup of uric acid in your system. So it will have the worst pain. They call it the rich man disease because you get it from eating a whole lot of red meat, steak, all that kind of stuff. So I found myself having gout and one of the pills that I was taking for gout, um, the side effect was it would mess with your kidney. Mm-hmm. So for about maybe 20 years, 15 years at least, I was taking this medicine. Mm-hmm. The doctor said, you got to watch your weight and watch what you put in your mouth because eventually you're going to have kidney failure and you don't want to go on dialysis. He said that to me in my 20s. I'll never forget oh, and I said to myself, that's not going to happen to me, so we're going to keep it moving. <laughs> so one day, Mickey, I started, every time I laughed, my stomach was hurt. Mm-hmm. Laughing, your stomach hurt? I said, something's wrong with that picture. I went to the doctor. My doctor said to me, oh, my God, your kidneys have failed. You need to go on dialysis. I said, that, that was a lie. I'm not doing that. How can it go from be coming to you. And I knew that my creatinine level was rising, but not to the point where my kidneys are failing. You know, and I'm a person, I'm a CEO, baby. I travel the world. I have a beauty school. I have salons. I have a daycare. I have products. I'm, I'm out and about. You can't tell me something like that. So I went to Georgetown to the emergency room and they came back and said the same thing. They said that you, your kidneys have failed and you need to get on dialysis. So, and they wanted me to do it right then and there. I said, no, I need a week. I need to think about this thing. So I came home, Mickey, and I started um, researching and I started trying to figure out what do I do to get my kidneys right? You know, you know, what do I need to do? Where do I need to go? All of that. But guess what? It was too late. My kidneys had failed. And what I didn't want to do, I have friends who kidneys failed. They went the holistic way. I'm not talking against it, but they all lost their life. So what I said was, I said, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and do it. Mickey, when I tell you it was the most devastating thing ever to be on a dialysis machine three times a week, four hours each time on the machine. And I'm the kind of person that I stay on the go to be subject to having your blood filtered um, out of your body, cleansed and then put back into your body was something that I would have never thought were to happen. 
when I tell you I got so depressed. I never wanted to kill myself, but I was just so depressed because I said, I can't believe this is my fate. I'm going to die. I sat on that dialysis machine and I met the people, became close to the people, and to watch the people die one by one on the machine is something that I will never forget. Your good girlfriend that y'all was just outside talking to, all of a sudden she goes into cardiac arrest. I'm looking like this, my eyes and everything. They take a curtain and cover me so I can't see it. And they go ahead and start working on the person. It was devastating. And of course, Mickey, you saying to yourself, well, if it happened to them, Surely it's going to happen to you. And it became one of the worst things ever for me because then it was like you if I was on treatment Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Right. Mm -hmm. So Tuesday and Thursday, I'm still weak and trying to recover, but I was still trying to make it to work because I own business. So I was still trying to go in. But that's why I try to do everything I can for people on dialysis because a lot of people wasn't fortunate like me that they could still go to work a couple of hours so I could still get a paycheck. So I still went to work, but then guess what? I didn't have to go on the weekends, but if you don't limit your fluid intake, by the time Monday comes, you want to run to treatment because now you have all this fluid that you can't get off of you. Mm -hmm. And that causes heart attacks and all kinds of stuff because you have a buildup of fluid. So sometimes on Monday, I would look like that because I'm so full of fluid and I'm so sluggish because I got to get that weight, that, that fluid off of me that only the dialysis machine can do. And so it was devastating for me to be in that chair. And let me just tell you this. I was hurt and I was devastated because I lived my life to help other people. And to think that I would be in that chair, I just knew that I was going to get a kidney transplant because I've been too good to people. And guess what? I would get on Facebook and tell my business, hoping that people would help me. And so many people said, Mr. Bennett, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And I would kept calling the doctor saying, I know I got people saying they're going to do it. They said, well, we don't, we didn't get any calls. We don't have anybody. <laughs> then I started realizing that a lot of my family couldn't do it because if you have an underlying condition, then you can't be a kidney donor most times. So if you're overweight, that's not going to happen. If you're a diabetic, that's not going to happen. If you have a lot of uh, protein in your uh, urine, it's not going to happen. My best friend who don't take medicine or anything, he couldn't be the donor because he had protein in his urine, which means that's a sign that you may have kidney failure down the line if there's a lot of protein in your urine. That's why I tell the brothers, if you go to the bathroom and there's a lot of suds after you urinate, you need to go to the doctor because that's excess protein in your urine that's trying to come out and you need to seek, uh, uh, you need to seek the doctor. So my cousin who wanted to do it was overweight. My brother, who is one year older than me, that I depended on, I just knew he was going to be the kidney donor. They told him he was pre-diabetic. They had to put him on medication. Mm -hmm. So now, Mickey, I'm sitting in a chair all alone, and now I'm becoming bitter. I'm saying, I've helped all these people all these years, all these students that came through these doors, all, all my nieces and nephews, all these people. And guess what? I'm in this chair, and I don't have anyone to help me. I would leave the dialysis center and could barely even walk to my car. I used to come home. I had an assistant who lived with me that sometimes had to literally pick me up to take me upstairs with my big tail because I was so weak 
from after treatment. But it wasn't just physically, Mickey. It was emotionally and it was mentally because I said to myself, I'm going to die and it's nobody's going to help me. And it was the worst situation ever because people, if you don't, if you never experienced people on dialysis or if you never experienced it for yourself, you just never know. Right. You can't imagine that now and Mickey, I have a takeover spirit because I've been a leader for so long. So now I'm in a dialysis center wanting to tell people what to do and you shouldn't be doing this and you shouldn't be doing that, but you can't do anything. Right. That because you had the mercy. So it was devastating for me to think that I would do so much for people and nobody was there for me. That's how I looked at it, that I didn't have anyone. And guess what? I didn't want no one to come and see me in a dialysis chair with, with tubes and stuff hooked on me. I didn't want that because to me, that was a sign of weakness. I didn't want that. So I became extremely depressed and I just didn't know what was going to happen. I got a call one day from my salon manager who I've been knowing her. She'd been to school, started when she was 19. Mm -hmm. She uh, just turned 40 or something. She's been in my life all these years. She said to me, she said, God told me I'm going to be your kidney donor. I said, yeah, okay. Because at this time, I don't believe anybody. Because everybody said, I want to do it. I don't believe them because the doctors are saying, we don't have anybody that's calling in and saying, going to be there for you. And and that and that bothered me the most because then I, I didn't want to hear nobody on Facebook. Oh, brother Ben, I'm going to do it and all this kind of stuff. No, you're not because I've been here all this time. Nothing's happening. And then I said, wow, this is my fate. Everybody else had been on the machine for five, 10 years. And it was just me one year. And I was like, wow, but guess what, Mickey? I said, I'm not going to get the fistula. And that is where they do the graph in the arm. I said, I'm not going to do that for my treatment because you got to get pins, needles and stuff stuck in you. And I would see people bleed and all that. And people would just be cringing when they get the needle. So I had a port. Yeah, I had a port here. And I said, so they kept on telling me, you need to get the fistula. You need to get the fistula. You need to get this. I said, I'm not getting that. I'm going to get a transplant. Mm -hmm. I just, I was speaking into existence, even though I had no clue what was going to happen. Right. The lady came to me, AC came to me, and she said to me, she says, I'm your kidney donor. I didn't believe her. And then she said, for real, they, they just, you know. And so I called the doctor. They said, we can't release any, any information. So then all of a sudden, they finally said to me that uh, uh, AC Williams is going to be your kidney donor. Wow. For a minute, it didn't sink in because I'm still depressed. I still can't believe that, that I'm, I'm in this by myself. And I kept on telling God, you got to have something more for me because I know this is not my ending. I can't end like this. And when she said that she was the donor and they said we can have surgery anytime we want, I said, wow. So not only did I broke down and cried, I told her I was going to spoil it forever. You can't pay people. That's against the law for a kidney or, or any kind of organ. You can't pay people. So I was like, I just I just couldn't believe it, even all the way up until the day of surgery. Mm -hmm. And I even had people to tell me not to do the surgery because they was like, I don't know about this kidney transplant thing not to do it. But that was the only way for me to live a longer life. When you have kidney failure and you're on dialysis, it's called end stage renal failure. 
It wasn't Mickey until I went to the Medicaid office to try to get Medicare because in order to get a kidney transplant, you got to have Medicare because of the lifelong medicine that you have to take. And and that's not going to just happen with your regular insurance. You got to have insurance and you got to have Medicare. So I'm down in the Medicaid, Medicare office. And it didn't hit me until the lady said, uh, well, you don't look like that you can really get medicated and you know so she started talking to me i handed her my paperwork and she said oh okay you have end-stage renal failure mm-hmm. and it did not it did not mean anything until that lady said in office end stage renal failure meaning that there's nothing else left besides end stage so that's when i said to myself well i'm about to leave the earth so what i started doing was i started uh getting my finances in order because I was like, wow, God, you're going to take me and I'm not even 50. This is unbelievable. So the short version is I got the kidney transplant. I thank God for that. And it so happened that my kidney donor did not have anyone to nurse her or to take care of her. So me and my mother instantly said, we're going to heal this thing together. So we went out and bought a bed and put her in the same room with me in my house so we can recuperate together. And when I tell you, there are times now, and I don't get emotional, but there's some times now, Mickey, that I ride by Washington Hospital Center and know that I don't have to turn in there to go and get in that chair. I just put my hands up and I thank God. I get There are times right now that I break down and I call Dr. Williams and I just say, thank you because this is something that you didn't have to do. This is a young lady with three young, with three kids. And for you to say, I'm gonna go under the knife and not knowing what's gonna happen to me for you is something that I will never forget in all the years of my life. And and we admonish anyone to be a donor because she has one kidney and she's doing amazing. And the doctor reassured us that you can live off of one kidney. Mm-hmm. And I just think that, um, so so one of the things that came out of that was eventually I'm going to own Sea Allen Houses, a transitional house for people who just got a transplant, but they need to go somewhere. It so happened that because I own the school, I had an assistant to stay with me to wash me and take care of me and all of that. My mother's almost 80 years old. She came over every day. She was in the trenches, but I felt bad. I don't want her carrying water and cooking and doing all of this stuff. And so Asia, Dr. Williams was there with me in the house. Um, Thank God people bought us the kind of foods that we can eat and all of that. She recuperated, she left. I had to, I couldn't eat seafood for a year. I had to monitor everything for a year. I started out with 20 some pills and then it wind down to now I take 12 pills a day. And it's like easy clockwork. If you want to live, you're going to take the pills and it's easy clockwork. And I'm just so appreciative and I'm so grateful uh, for her giving me the kidney and for me to be able to be healthy. And I told you before we started the show that uh, my year anniversary of having a kidney transplant was April the 9th. And the first thing I I had, listen to this, I had a plane ticket to go to Berlin, Germany, the week of the 15th, the week right after my kidney transplant. But guess what? Corona came and we wasn't able to do anything. But I'm just grateful that God brought me out. When I tell you I learned so many lessons sitting in that chair 
I'm just going to tell you two and we can move on. The first lesson that I learned sitting in that chair was you got to put yourself first. What I realized, Mickey, and what had me depressed was the fact that for years I took care of so many people. But guess what? When it was time for someone to take care of me, it was my mother. It was one. It was Andrew Teal, the assistant. It was only it was only a handful of people who was there for me. Even I had some friends and family members. I'm talking about immediate family members who never even came to the house the whole time I was recuperating. So the first thing I had to realize was if you don't take care of you, then who else is going to? You have to stop putting other people first. I tell people we put the church first. We put our grandkids, family, all of that. But when at the end of the day, we only have one life to live. So my so the biggest thing that I got out of it was stop trying to impress other people. Stop doing everything for the world and understand that if you can't take care of you, how are you going to be able to take care of the world if you can't take care of you first? And we know in business, even when it comes to finances, boo, you got to put your piece to the side first. Then you go and do the stuff that you do. A lot of times, Mickey, we don't do that. We sacrifice. At the end of the day, we hold in an empty bag, but everybody else got paid and all that kind of stuff. I don't do that anymore. Ever since I had this situation, I make sure that I take mine off the top and then I will see how God will bless me to take care of everybody else. But I'm no longer going to put myself last. So that was the first thing that I got. The second thing, and I learned many of them, but the second thing and the last thing I'll share with you is there's a reason that God has put you through this. What is it now that you can do? to just give praise and honor that he gave you another opportunity to be on this earth. And that is what birthed the Kidney Cafe. So I had to support my shirt today for you. I started the Sea Island Foundation nonprofit, and that is for to help people with kidney awareness, to help people understand what's going on. Do you know in D.C. we have the highest rate of kidney failure in the United States of America is right here in Washington, D.C.? So what I decided to do, Mickey, and I know this is my passion because I'm the happiest I've ever been. I created the Kidney Cafe. The Kidney Cafe is where I go on TV and I cook dishes with the mindset that people have kidney disease or they may have kidney disease or they have certain stages of kidney disease. And what can they do? So I had to research it and become a kidney coach to understand that there are superfoods that's best for us, like cauliflower. Cauliflower is that versatile vegetable that, that you can make your, you can use it as a carbohydrate, as a starch. So you do your uh, rice out of cauliflower. I do my pizza crust. I do mashed potatoes out of cauliflower. So basically what the Kidney Cafe is doing is showing people how to have a great way of eating, but eating a little more healthier, taking different uh, 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 options and choices. And then we talk about portion control. Sometimes you're not going to get around certain things, but you only have a little bit like potassium. Uh, corn, corn on the cob is high in potassium. But for us, we can have a half a ear corn. And baby, I take my time with it because I love corn. I take my time with it after eat corn, boo, because I want to still, even though I have a kidney transplant, I still want to keep my baby. So what I try to do is eat healthy. So I'm doing things I've never done before, like red peppers is a superfood. So now I'm using peppers in, 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 in items. So there's four things that I want our listeners to understand. One is about sodium how important it is to keep that sodium level down. It says that we should do no more than 2,000 milligrams a day, but I try to use so many salt substitutes 
like garlic is one that's good. There's a lot of seasoning that's that doesn't have salt in it, from Italian seasoning to oregano to paprika, all kinds of stuff that you can do um, that can help you still be able to have good taste in food, but not using that salt. The next one is potassium. It's the same thing. You can't have more than 2,000 milligrams of potassium. So what you got to do, you got to scale that back. So you have to find out what foods are high in potassium and what you need to stay away from. The next one is phosphorus. Mm. It tells us that our phosphorus level should be between 2.5 to 4.5. So stuff like me, I love french fries. I love potatoes. Potatoes is high in phosphorus. So what do we do? We boil the phosphorus out of the potato, then make your French fries and stuff. So basically what I'm trying to tell you, and the last one I want to mention is protein. Protein can be tricky, Mickey, because if you are in stage one or two of KD, which is kidney disease, you want to limit your protein because it's going to make your kidneys work harder trying to break down that meat and all of that. However, if you're on dialysis, you need more protein because when you do the treatment, it's going to strip. It's, it's going to strip nutrients out of you while it's cleaning your body and stuff too, and the chemicals and metals and all that. So you got to be able to put that protein back because you need it for strength. So phosphorus, just to mention, is kind of like phosphorus is a mineral. So it's kind of like it's for our bones. So it's kind of like calcium. So if we if we have too much phosphorus and all of that, then our bones become bones become weakened. Then all of a sudden we have issues. Now we extra tired and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. So we got to remember things. So the purpose of the Kidney Cafe is for me to make dishes for people with KD or people that's a diabetic like myself. So I use all kinds of sweet substitutes from agave to um, I use coconut flour now. I use coconut uh, sugar. I use almond flour, you know, all that kind of stuff. So what I try to do is right now in my house, there's nothing white in my house. I don't have any white sugar. I don't have any white flour. I don't even have white bread. I don't do any of that because the important thing is how can we remain more healthier? So what I'm excited about is the Kidney Cafe is my new venture. It's my, it's my purpose, my passion. I love to cook. I just, uh, before we started, I just had my cauliflower pizza. Instead of me getting the pepperoni, I got the turkey that looked like pepperoni on the pizza. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. and, and then even skinless chicken is one of the superfoods on our list that will help us. So it's about researching. When I came home and they said I had kidney failure, I started researching what I do. You know, it was too late. So I said, the kidney cafe. Maybe I can help people change their lifestyles in reference to healthy options and in reference to eating and stuff so it can prolong and maybe not even have people to have a kidney disease period because it's about what we put into our bodies. Mm. And so that's what's really important. So uh, I'm excited about the Kidney Cafe. I'm excited. We're in negotiation now with different networks. I'm looking at different offers on the table. We're going to put the reels out there so everybody can see it. We've been putting little snippets of like me and Angie Stone in the kitchen, me and Derek J. We've been doing little snippets now just to get everybody, you know, interested. But we're going to be announced at the end of the year which network we chose to be on. Uh, we already will. I think I really know the one that I'm choosing, but I'm not going to say it. I just want to see what this other office is going to look like. But I'm excited to be able to bring my passion onto the screen and to help people live a better life. And that's what it's about. If I can help someone as I pass along the way, then my living will not be in vain. Amen. Amen. Amen.
Well, that is such a powerful story. I don't know if anybody else had to pull out their um, their Kleenex or anything. <laughs> I was getting steamy over here, yeah. but um, we're definitely so glad that you're that you're well, and you know, thank God for your donor and um, and all that she was willing to do. So, just a quick question about that, but you were saying. Um, that if you have all these different underlying conditions or what have you, you're not a match for the donor. But is that like other um, organs where you have to match as well, or anyone can donate a kidney for anyone else? How does that oh, work? Oh, absolutely. So what happens is, is that if you are healthy mm -hmm. and you go to the doctor and you go through all the tests, then you're able to list yourself as a kidney donor. Okay. And it's funny you said that because when I was interviewing Angie Stone and we was in the kitchen cooking in Atlanta, she's on dialysis mm -hmm. and she wants, she needs a kidney. Wow. And so I was talking to her and I went to my audience and my listeners and said, Hey, you know, I want someone to think about maybe donating their kidney to Angie Stone because she needs a kidney. So what's important is I tell everyone to go to uh, either kidneyfund.org, American Kidney uh, Foundation, uh, so you can look at what are the things that you would need to do um, in order to become a kidney donor. Uh, there are stipulations because we don't want anyone to uh, we don't want anyone to risk themselves. So it's important because, you know, it's, it's you can't you know, they don't want you to have high blood pressure. Right. You know, uh, diabetes is out. Uh, overweight is out. Um, you know, there, there are a lot of uh, uh, there are a lot of factors that could hold back. But, you know, it's important to go and find out because there could be some things because, like, for example, Dr. A.C. Williams, she had a thyroid issue. So mm -hmm. they had to get her thyroid together before we operated. So 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 I'm not a physician. I can't really tell you. The only thing I can say is go and get screened, go and get checked out and see if you're able to do that, because you'll be saving a life because I'm telling you mm. out of all the years of living, that was my most darkest moment when I was on that dialysis machine. And a lot of people, they think about their grandma and all that on the machine, but they really have no clue mm. on um, what it's really like unless you're in that situation. Right. Right. That was one of the reasons I wanted to have you on as well, just to share with us, because it's like most of us do have no idea, you know, what it's like. And it's like, I can only imagine, you know, how trying it is. And I'm so glad that you shared, you know, some of your lessons from it, because I, I think that you're always getting lessons, you know, that you're put through situations to get lessons. And I think you shared some really powerful ones with us as far as taking care of yourself. Yeah, I just think I, I think that it's important. I think it's crucial that we take time out to research. And I think that's one of the most important things. It's about researching. We have to know what's going on with our body. One of the things that uh, for, with the Kidney Cafe, we're trying to talk to the brothers about uh, uh, stop being afraid to go to the doctor, you know, get your checkups. You know what I'm saying? Uh, women, you can do self-examinations on your breast to see if there's a lump there. You got to know your own body. You have to know when things not right. I'm not saying become paranoid. I was a person making anything wrong. I'm running to the doctor. And that is why when this happened to me, I was kind of shocked because I do my doctor visits. You know, I go to the doctor. Mm -hmm. There's going to be times when things are going to happen in our lives. And it's going to happen for a reason, but we have to stay on top of it. And that's the important thing. What a lot of people do, especially black men, we, we feel it, but we say it's going to go away. 
Mm-hmm. We, we, right. we, we know that something's not wrong, but we just learn to deal with it. But all mm-hmm. of that can be avoided if we got the professional help that we need in order for us to not, not do this. Because to me personally, how many times did the doctor tell me? Mm-hmm. Because for me, it was also drinking. You know, uh, I was a social drinker, you know, and I used to drink, I used to tear the alcohol down, baby. And that was another thing they gave me guys, you know, but if I had the pills to knock it out, guess what? Next weekend, I was back to being drunk again because I knew that I had the pills to pull me out, not thinking the long-term effects on things. And Mm -hmm. that's why we have to take care. We have to be the main person to handle us has to be us. Mm -hmm. We have to be you know, the person to make sure that we okay. We have to know that if there's a rash, you need to go to the dermatologist and find out because it could be an indication of something much larger. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I kind of wanted to, to tie this together. It's like health and beauty are so connected anyway. Um, and this is about life changing and changing lives. And we have the opportunity as hairstylists or whatever part of the beauty industry that we're in, barbers or what have you, where we're seeing people for, you know, sometimes extended period of time, you know, 30, 40 and mm-hmm. hours. And what kind of conversations should we be having with our clients, you know, about their, you know, what we're eating and health and those kind of yeah. things. And that's really good. The important things that we want to do is we want to start with a basic thing on asking your client, is it okay that I check your blood pressure? Mm. I believe in putting blood pressure machines in every salon and barbershop. Any salon shop I open from now on out will have blood pressure machines at the stations because it starts there. Mm. If we in the African-American community, we know that a lot of us have issues with our blood pressure that causes so many other things down the line. One of the things that causes kidney disease is your blood pressure, is diabetic, being a diabetic, all of that will affect your kidneys. And that is why I started out talking about the importance of sodium, because if you have too much salt, it's gonna raise your blood pressure. And a lot of us, we do a lot of eating out. A lot of us, see, it it goes so much deeper, Mickey, and I'm not trying to be on on here with you all night, but it's also about the communities that we're in. A lot of African-American communities you go to, like I went on St. Barnabas Road the other day. I saw every fast food place you can think of, from hip hop chicken to KFC to McDonald's to all that. And a lot of times that is what may fit our budget to go to these places. But what we're not understanding is you can now, they have made things affordable uh, where you can get some great vegetables. You know what I'm saying? You can get some, mm-hmm. you can get some great meat. You can get all kinds of things now. Uh, uh, there's all this organic stuff going on. It's just a lot that you can do. But the important thing is a lot of times we run to what's quicker. Mm-hmm. Our kids want McDonald's. And I'm not knocking these places. What I'm saying is sometimes we have to make healthier options. We have to have healthier options. We have to make lifestyle changes. <laughs> You know, what I'm saying is, is that it's in my house growing up, we went to McDonald's every Friday. Right. No one, we couldn't afford. But on Fridays when daddy got paid, we all had little McDonald's. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. One of the things that you asked me is that how can we bridge it together? It's about educating our clients first, starting with their blood pressure. If we can keep people with a normal blood pressure, that can end a lot of things. Mm-hmm. If we can talk to our clients well, first of all, we got to talk to ourselves because I've never seen so many. Listen, and I ain't talking about nobody because I know some of them listen. 
I had some students with amazing bodies and beautiful until they start going behind the chair in the industry. And what they're doing is they're going right next door to the China. They're going right next door to get them some uh, a, a mixed tea, some French fries and chicken wings and all this stuff because right. it's quick, it's easy, and it tastes good. But then we have to think about the long-term effect because I was that person that put all that salt and pepper on my French fries. I was that person that would douse them French fries with hot sauce in my chicken. But I'm saying I was that person that would get that sweet tea. And I'm telling you, as a diabetic, I can drink some sweet tea and my sugar level can go all the way up to the two and three hundreds, which is is crazy off a regular thing of sweet tea. But what about the people who don't have a machine to check their levels? Mm-hmm. And they just steady doing it and steady doing it, steady doing it. You know what I'm saying? Like, for an example, orange juice. I can't take a big thing of orange juice. Do you know that would probably send me into a, 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 a almost a, a diabetic coma right. because of so much sugar that's in it? It's important that we start investing in ourselves. So what I would tell our clients is, how are you investing in yourself? Talk to me about your eating habits. Well, first, we need to get the client to work on, the styles to work on their eating habits. Mm-hmm. And what they do, have your water. Have yeah. your water at the station. All of this coming in with your tea and all. Get you some water, some H2O. That's one of the most important things that we can have is some, is some water. So it's just important for us when we talk to our clients to talk to them about, so tell me what's going on with you because guess what, man? Mm-hmm. A lot of times we can tell before we ask them because we're in their hand and their hand. And you know that the hand's going to talk mm-hmm. to them. So I have been with people. Yeah. I have been with clients that I can smell the nicotine. I've been with clients where I can smell the marijuana. I've been with clients where I can smell the alcohol, all of this stuff, because one of the things that we know as hairstyles is the five senses. And we know that a lot of times that plays a big role in what we're doing. And that's when it comes to not a judgmental situation, but a basic conversation. If you want to have healthy hair, a lot of times, everybody, it starts with what we put into our bodies. And, you know, we say our body is the temple and all of that, but do we really act like it? Because if we act like it, and don't get me wrong, listen to this. No one loves to eat like yours truly. You're talking about uh you're talking about uh buffets and all you can oh baby I used to enjoy <laughs> all of it. You know, I'm one that I can, I have to after I eat, it took me a minute to get it from the table, baby, because I gotta let it all digest and all that kind of stuff. Right. But you know what, Mickey, it's the best feeling in the world to get up from a Thanksgiving meal and not be overly stuffed. Right. It's right. the best feeling in the world to do what I call on my show PC, which is portion control, to make sure that you are, you are, you are, you know, you can, I'm not telling people to deny yourself because I thought I was on my way out of here. But what I'm telling you is you do it in moderation. Mm-hmm. So when I went to Atlanta, one of the chefs, I said, now how am I going to get away with this? Because she didn't cook nothing that was kidney friendly. I said, Lord have mercy, what I'm going to do? But what I thought about was portion control. Uh-huh. Right. So when it was over, she made this honey bun that was out of this world, but I had a little square of the honey bun. Right. It was a taste, but guess what? That was all I needed. Right. And that's why it's important that we talk to our clients about discipline. Mm-hmm. Discipline in reference to how we're eating. Right. As we get older, Mickey, you know what happens. Our metabolism slows down mm-hmm. and we start to have a little extra cheek. We start to have a little extra this. We start to have a little extra that going on, right. all that kind of stuff. And, and because our metabolism slows down, it's important that we really monitor what we put into our bodies. And I said to myself, Nikki, if I lasted 50 years, which I have done, eating whatever I wanted to eat, 
I can go the other 50 years doing the right thing. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. And sometimes it's hard. But, oh, and let me tell you this, like, I'm a chip person. Mm. But guess what? I eat beet chips now. Oh, and really? I, don't even, I don't even like beets. But the beet, <laughs> but the beet chips to me are good. But guess what? Because I think that some of it is psychological, just that crunch that right. you got to eat. Yes. And that's what I do with that. Or I'll get pork rinds because pork rinds have no carbohydrates. So it's oh, not going to eat. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. But I got to watch the sodium. So yep. what does that mean? I can have the pork rinds because that's going to raise my sugar, but it may give me, it may raise my blood pressure. So you have to do it in moderation. But that's why everybody has to tune into the Kidney Cafe so you can learn what to eat, what not to eat, and learn that you can eat almost anything, but you want to do some substitutes and you want to do some portion control and everything will come out all right. Yeah, well, I absolutely can't wait. I can't wait to see it. I've been watching the teasers and everything. Very good. I'm like, okay, what is going on here? I want to catch it. So, yeah, yeah, definitely keep us posted with you know which network and where we need to tune in because we will mm. be there. But this is so wonderful to talk with you and to really hear, you know, all of your experiences, you know, with the school and getting started with that, as well as you know your experiences with your health and how you know. It's amazing to me that you've shifted and, you know, I understand the, the, the down times and depression times and all of that, but your rebound from the outside looking in looks is just like amazing. It's like, how did you do that? You know what I mean? It's like, I think you came out with the body butter first um, because of. Oh, the yeah. Uh -huh. so, yes. Let me just say this real quick before we go. Uh -huh. so, what, so what happened was while I was in that chair with the entrepreneurship spirit that I have, what happened was I'm not a shoe person. And I don't really care for socks. I'm a country boy. You know, my family's from North Carolina. So I walk around the house. I walk down the street, no shoes on, all the kind of stuff. Still do it today. So I'm sorry. I'm in my office. I can have a suit on and my toes sticking out in a minute. You know what I'm saying? People say it's unprofessional. I say, well, what, well, you know, okay, that's your opinion. Um, but I'm just that kind of person, right? I'm sitting in a dialysis chair and my feet are looking like I was kicking in sand or snow. It was terrible. And people coming up to me because they know me as the beauty school owner. Okay. And, and I'm looking at my feet and I'm trying to hide it under the cover and all of that. So what I did, Nikki, was I said to myself, what can I do to make myself, make my feet look better? So I started researching uh, a cocoa. Uh, 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 I do it everything from coconut butter to I started trying all this different stuff. And next thing you know, um, um, I started using shea butter and then I started going into the lab and I started mixing it. Then I started getting some of the scents that I think that would smell good. And then I started adding some additional oils and stuff to it. And voila, I came up with the Seattle body butter. And when I tell you the dialysis center that I used to go to, they still ordered that by the, 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 the dozens at times because not only does it really work, but it gives us that moisture back that we really need. And something as heavy as shea butter will be able to will be able to penetrate a little more and give you that kind of wonderful feeling that we still want to have even though we have kidney disease so i came out with the body butters first but then from the body butters i did the sea salts then from the sea salts i did the beard oil then from the beard oil came the whole uh beard box which would be the conditioner all of that then my the latest thing which i'm excited about is my beard protector oh my god the beard protector so what happened was i said to myself i'm cooking 
And I find out that, you know, it's going to sound crazy, but I'm seeing a little hair here and there. Or you know how sometimes you scratch all of that? And I said, okay, well, this isn't sanitary. I got to do something. And guess what happened? I was in Atlanta and there was a chef, Kevin Ashford, catered cakes. Hmm. Uh, we went to his place. His wife has asthma real bad. And when we walked in, he told my team, you don't have a mask. You can't come in here. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I just hit my beer protector. I don't know what to do. So I did like this. And voila, now I wear the mask and the beer protector. So now okay. it's all one. You see what I'm saying? Right. So right. I got so excited about it because that is one of the newest inventions that I have. So I'm constantly thinking of what can I do for people that have kidney failure? What can I do for people? We have the port shirts, Mickey. My yeah. mother, my mother. When she knew I was on dialysis, she went to the store and bought all these sweaters and she cut them down the middle. So mm-hmm. now I'm in a dialysis place like this, but I got to have it open for my thing. Okay. And so the next thing I did was I got in touch with Andrew Noel, a menswear designer here. And I said, help me out to create me a port shirt. So we got it with it zippings on either side. So you can be able to have it on and it can easily get to your port because you just zipping it open. And then we got the fistula shirt for people who've been on dialysis for a while. So the zipper is right here where they normally uh, do your incision. So it was important for me to be able to come up with different things that I can be comfortable with in a chair and so can other people. So that's where all of the paraphernalia and the products and everything came from. And all of those proceeds fall under the Sea Island Foundation. So that's why we do things like the 12 Days of Kidney Christmas, uh, the, the, the Kidney Christmas Program, uh, the days where we go to different dialysis centers and do stuff. So sometimes I get on social media and get everybody in my cash app and I say, help me. And believe it or not, they actually do. And I take that money and I do it on camera so that people can see where their money went to. So I don't want you to think that I'm a hustler and I'm trying to put the money in my pocket. No, I want I'm living the rest of my life on how I can help other people with kidney disease, with diabetes, so they can be able to have a better life. And so many people have gotten off of there. They have reversed their diabetes. I haven't been so fortunate yet, but that's what I'm working on because I hate sticking myself. You know, I, my monitor is right here on my arm now that I wave my phone over to see what my levels are and all of that. But sometimes it's so irritating because you don't want to do that. And the only way I can get rid of it is to continue to lose weight. I've been doing really good with losing. I've been doing really good with my uh, vegan kind of eating, but I'm not going to call myself a vegan because I got to have my chicken wings. Okay. <laughs> There's not enough tofu in the world, baby. I'm going to eat my chicken wings. Okay. But I try to do it what in moderation. I try to have portion control. So I have bought like 10 wings. It took me maybe three days to eat them. But normally I can eat them in 10 seconds. Right. But I'm just trying to work on. And it's a day-to-day process. So all of you out there who struggle with weight, who struggle with eating right, all of that, join these groups. Go to CAllenLifestyle.com and be a subscriber. Because starting in January, everything that I do now come with recipes. I'm not going to have you out there like that. And I'm not charging for it. Under the Seattle Foundation, it's a nonprofit. So give us the opportunity that we can just do things and give to people so they can get. I don't want people, Mickey, to be in a situation that I was in where I found out I have kidney failure and I don't know what to do. 
I'm reading, I'm researching all this stuff that probably could have helped me prior to, but right now I'm at the end stage situation. So I had to, uh, I really had to succumb to a lot of different things, but God doesn't put more on you than you can bear. And that is true. It, it has been rough, but guess what? It has been, oh, we're not going to talk about it because the time is too gone, but we haven't even discussed you can't make no money when you laid up in that bed, sick. Right, right. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. So this is why it's important for you to take financial literacy classes so you know what to do because it's about saving your money too. We spend, a lot of us go from paycheck to paycheck and we got to understand that there are going to be days where you will not be able to do it. Then what? A lot of us don't have that support system to call on somebody and say, I need you to pay my mortgage or I need you to do this. I need you to do that. So you got to be creative. And Mickey, that's why for our beauty superstars, that's why it's important for you to have multiple streams of income. So if you are down, you can still be able to get money and do the things that you need to do. You know what I did, Mickey? I told the people I had a kidney transplant. I'm at home. I can't work. Help me. Mm-hmm. Do you know the thousands of dollars that I got? I didn't do nothing but turn it over and gave it to Dr. Williams because I have a job. She's a working hash house. That's the only way she make her money. Mm-hmm. So what I did was, and she was a single parent. So I made sure that I took care of her first because if it wasn't for her, I probably wouldn't even be here today. So the thing about it is, and that's why community is so important. Mm-hmm. And that's why helping each other is so important. That's why sowing and reaping is so important because you never know when you're going to have a time when you're going to have to give it. That's why treating people right is so important. I have seen people, Mickey, that was a student who now sit on the state board. I have seen, I've had students who now work for the licensing division that could close the school if they wanted to. That's why you got to be nice to everybody. I learned something. I'm going to stop after this. My old assistant, Rashawn Broadnex. Do you remember him, Mr. Broadnex? Yes, I did. Mr. Broadnex taught me something I would never forget. Thank you, Rashawn. Mr. Broadnex said to me, people always got to remember, they got to be good to the front end people. Because Rashawn said, people come to see you, Mr. Bennett. They walk right past me. They have an attitude, all this stuff. They don't understand that I'm the key to you. You got to get past him to get to me. So you got to learn how to treat these frontline workers because those frontline workers have the ear to the people who make the decision. And when he said that to me, it made all the sense in the world. And that's why one reason I've been blessed, I go in the office building, well, good morning, how are you? I treat the people the way they're supposed to be treated. When other people look at them like a doormat, I treat them right because those are the same ones that will whisper to you, no, you need to do fix your tie and you need to do this. Oh, oh, they will like it better if you combed your beard down some because when you go into the door, da, da, da. Or they will say, oh, well, make sure you get you some water or so and so and such and such. Or let me tell you this. One girl told me, she said, I'm the assistant to, I'll never forget this, Jonathan Rogers, who was the CEO of TV One. And she says, he listens to you every week. So what you need to do if you want to get in here is so-and-so and such and such. So it's important that we are nice to every single person because we never know where our blessings are going to come from. So when you're looking down at people, you're looking down to pick them up. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because it's important for us to make sure that we're good to other people. And I try to do that 100% of the time. And the last one I want to say is I became a nicer person. Mm-hmm. 
And, and, and it was hard for me to say that because I always thought I was nice. But there are times when I hang up on people. There are times when I'm smart. There are times when I cut people off. I'm famous to excuse me to shut the people up and all of that. And I said, after that ordeal, God showed me that you got to be nice to the people and you have to understand just because you blunt and open and can be loud and stuff at times, some people look at that as being offensive and you have to treat every person the way that you want to be treated. And you have to understand and sometimes you got to sit back and know people's personalities before you start because everybody don't want you in their face. Everybody don't want you touching their hand. Everybody don't want you, ha, 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 ha. You know what I'm saying? Some people want to get to know you before they open up and show them who, who they really are. So those are some more lessons that I learned mm -hmm. sitting in that chair. That chair, even though you think that you're the nicest person in the world, could you have said something differently? If you have responded to a student a little better, right. did you have to buck your eyes? So now, Mickey, I keep a, a mirror on my station because a lot of times I'm talking like this and not knowing that I'm talking like this. And then I say, oh, my God. <laughs> So, so I just think that everybody should really focus on how to make them a better person. How can you be better so you can be able to cheer? How can you love yourself more so you can be able to love other people? Right. And those are some of the things that we got to constantly do. We have to stay in the mirror to figure out how can we be better. And I just think it's important. People come in the door, they see the big campus and all that. And I can have on this T-shirt and some jeans. And they say, oh, I'm here to see Mr. Bennett. I say, oh, I'm Mr. Bennett. Oh, oh, I was looking for an older gentleman. I was looking for somebody, so-and-so, so-and-so. You know what I'm saying? And sometimes you just have to be who you are. You know, I did that suit and tie every day. I hit on a suit and tie today, but I do it when I feel like it. If I want to put on jeans, I'm put on, if I want to put on shorts, I'm going to put on shorts. <laughs> the reality of Mickey is that we got to live for ourselves and stop trying to live for other people mm. and worrying about what other people are saying and thinking because they're not feeding or financing you. So what are you worried? What are you worried about what they think for? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I think it's obvious to see why you're my life changer. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, like you said, it starts with us. You know, how do we look in the mirror and make these decisions and and make our lives, you know, not contingent on other people and what they're thinking and all of that. And I see that so much in social media, especially where we're looking to somebody for some answers and you get 10,000 different answers and these people are fighting with each other. But it's like, like you say, taking that quiet time, going into that prayer and meditation space. And, and, you, and you can't believe the hype because half of folks on Instagram and all of that, they stunting all this stuff and they saying all this stuff and they, they, they picking up stuff from other people and saying and all this, baby, God bless a child who got his own. Right. You need to motivate yourself. You need to be able to find different things that can lift you up. You know, I say all the time, Mickey, everybody wasn't in the church at 12 years old like I was. So some people don't know that gospel music can change your whole mindset. Some people don't know. I still listen to Les Brown. I don't even know if he's out there anymore, but I still listen to him because he's still amazing. And his stuff is still relevant today. So it's not all about, I love T.D. Jakes, but T.D. Jakes is not the only person that can give you a good word. Sometimes it's everyday people. You got to surround yourself with positive people that's going to lift you up because so many of us have styles, especially when we first start out, is so many naysayers. Why are you doing this? This ain't going to work. Everybody got a farm. Everybody can do hair. Why this? Why that? Boo. 
cut all those people out of your life. Bring in positive people. You won't think I'm crazy when I say this because, you know, I thought I knew everything. When I interviewed Derek J for the Kidney Cafe, he said something that it was something so simple that I never thought about, but it made all the sense in the world. Derek said, I asked Derek, I want, I was wondering, Mickey, why a lot of celebrities may have, may have hundreds of thousands of followers, mm -hmm. but they only follow like 100 people, 300 people. 1,000 people, but they may have a million followers, right? Mm -hmm. Derek said to me, I asked him, how do he handle adversity? And Derek said to me, he says, first of all, if I come across anything on my, on my page, if I come across anything scrolling that is depressive, that's negative, that, uh, I, uh, that turns me a certain way, I just immediately delete them. Mm. And I never thought about that because <laughs> like I go fast through all the girl fighting stuff because that bothers me. I don't like seeing stuff like that. And right. it wasn't until he said something. I said, Chet, you can go and delete those people who have been girls fighting. You don't have to ever see it no more. And I never thought about that. And what he said was, is that he only follow people that's going to uplift who he is. That's mm. going to edify him that they all think alike in reference to being around positive, and I never thought about that. So I said, one day I'm gonna purge my social media and get rid of all this stuff that I don't wanna see. Because I said to myself one time, I said, I have a spiritual leader who don't follow me no more on social media. And that kind of bothered me for a minute. But then I thought about it and I said, if my students are on their posts and shaking their booties and people on their posts and fighting stuff, and, and then they come across my page and see all of that. That's not edifying them. So, Chet, I love you, but I got to get off of this because you're not doing nothing to build me up with all this foolish and stuff that I'm seeing. And I thought about it. So I said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do like the business folk told us years ago. And I never did. They told us that you need to have a professional page and you need to have your personal page. And I said under Chet Beauty King Bennett, on IG and Facebook, honey, you see everything in the world from me cooking to me playing my dog to me talking about a business conference to me teaching and preaching and all that kind of stuff. So I said, you know what? I have a chat been at Facebook. Go back to that one and do all of uh, your uh, playing and laughing and, and all of that. Then you go to your Kidney Cafe page and post all your your, your meals and your food. You know what I'm saying? Right. So, so go ahead and separate that so you don't have to deal with things that you don't want to deal with. Because I see some stuff on social media that really could blow me for the whole day. I can't, I would never forget that. I got to tell you this, I'm going to stop talking. There was a lady who threw a dog at somebody. I don't know if you saw that one. No. <laughs> Thank I'm a dog lover. I have three dogs and it still bothers me today. And I said, that's what you get because you need to unfollow certain things that right. you know is not healthy for your spirit, for yeah. your mind. Absolutely. Yeah. Y'all just got a big tip there. It's like, that's like you say, it's simple, but it's huge. It's, and I, I said, I never thought about that. I never thought about purge those people that's mm -hmm. bringing that kind of negativity to you. Right. And the people, they always got negative stuff. Well, today better be a good day because I'm tired of so-and-so. Honey, don't nobody want to hear all of that. <laughs> I got a student, Mickey, that I can't wait to delete. Every time I turn around, she's saying, uh, I, I feel like giving up. I don't want to be here no more. Honey, I don't need all of that. I don't want to hear all of that. <laughs> Because then it makes us now go into what's wrong, call me. And right, now you're right. So now you're pouring into somebody's life for 30, 40 minutes. When right. next they're going to get on social media saying, baby, you're looking for attention. Right, right. And I'm not the one. Delete. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and it's actually what Beauty Superstars Talk is all about. So you can fill your mind with positive people because I think, you know, it's like who we hang around with, what we listen to, who we hear, what we hear. It so influences what we're thinking and how we're moving in the world. So that's what it's for. So we've got the podcast so you can take it on the go with you and be able to listen to these messages and really start to transform your life. You know, if you really take and and start to implement a few things here and there, it's like it'll that's, the, that's the wonderful thing. I'm I'm, I'm gonna go when I say this, but that's the wonderful thing that I love about you because you have been consistent for decades now, trying to help the beauty industry get their business together. Right, so right. many hairstylists and barbers are so talented and creative, but have no clue when it comes to the business aspect. Right, and it bothers right. me to see them lose their business and have to go back to being behind a chair and all that because they never took advantage of the superstar classes. They never took advantage of, I remember the, the day that you were doing everything from seminars, workbooks, uh, uh, all that, all those kind of things to help people to 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 be a professional in the beauty industry, and you have been doing it ever since I've known you. So I admonish everyone to follow you, the podcast, and all of that because I listen to you, and it really, really empowered me watching the Joe Dudley. Joe Dudley has always been a mentor in my head. Uh, Walk by Faith, his book, I read so many times and I really got into all of that when I was home recovering from my kidney transplant. Um, uh, and then his mentor, it'll come to me in a minute. Um, I, I got his book and, and that book was so powerful because he was in the 1930s having businesses and products and all of that. Um, um, and I can't that's one of the best books I can tell someone to read yeah. because it motivated me so much to now I have modeled him with a multicultural staff because he had one back in the 30s and 40s. Right, right. So now when you go to Bennett Career Institute, you're going to see white folk, you're going to see Spanish folk, you're going to see black folk, you're going to see all of them. And I was able to do that after I read the S.B. Fuller book to, uh, uh, to see how he got started and what he had to do. And when you had Joe Dudley on there, it just inspired me so much that one, that he's still living, and two, he still had that keen mindset and okay. I love the fact when he said, send me a dollar and I'll send you so-and-so. I send you <laughs> And I just love every bit of it because we have to pay homage. And yeah. let me tell you what I do today. I am licensed and accredited to offer manicure. I don't offer it because Dudley's is around the corner and they have a manicure program. So oh. I send everybody to Melanie McLean Dudley, I sent everybody over there to her so she can do that and she don't have barbers, she sent barbers to me. That's right. how it's supposed to be. Yeah. You know, and I said okay. I said, why would I monopolize the industry and try to hold everybody to myself when I understand their situation and 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 if it wasn't for the Dudleys, it wouldn't have been a Bennett. So right. it's important for us to understand that we have to pay homage and we have to be able to help our businesses remain open and to flourish. Yeah. So even when I have an abundance of things, I ship them right down the street. Mm -hmm. Here's some things that you all can use. Here's some things. And I do it all the time. And me and Melanie have the best relationship. And people will say, you crazy. That's your competitor. You need to shut her down. Why would I do that when she's right. another black woman? And they started Dudley's, I think it was 82 
or I think it was 1984 when they opened up the DC branch. I didn't come along until 1992. I didn't open the mine until 1996. What I'm saying is that we have to we have to give honor to the people who paved the way before us. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to continue to to interview as many legends as I can, as quickly as I can, to make sure that that history is here with us because Absolutely. it is so vital. You know, people think they just showed up on Instagram one day and they're insta famous, and and it's like they're all that to the beauty industry. But it's like there are some folks that paved some serious roads before Absolutely. us. Absolutely, and you have uh, one of the ladies on there that I know. Um, uh, is it Covington? Is it uh, oh, Carolyn Marshall Covington? She was one of the ones that uh, I was. Uh, she was big time when when I came on the scene. She was yeah. big time on the scene when I came on. And when I saw that she's one of the people, I said I got to tune in from there because I know she has such a wealth of knowledge because of what she was doing when I first came on the scene. Yeah. So yeah. I, so you know I take my hat off to the Barry Fletchers. I take my hat off to the people that have paved the way for us because I remember coming into this industry and they were rocking and rolling. You know what I'm saying? So when I walk. When I walk past and see that Liz Nolan, uh, uh, see that uh, uh, natural motion is no longer there, you know what I'm saying? I, I just think about uh, I think about the lessons that she taught me when she owned Scanners, mm -hmm. and when I came when I came into the business, she was closed, but she taught me some good stuff. Mm -hmm. You can't forget stuff like the Thelma Nelson Magic Fingers. You know, back in the day, in the 80s and stuff, they said there were lines around the corner, people getting finger waves and all this stuff with Thelma Nelson. She's one of my dearest friends to this day because you have to pay homage. Dr. DiCarlo, been into the industry over 50 years. These are local D.C. people that you would not be where you are if it wasn't for them. Right. Murray Hawkins, you know, those are the ones who said, don't just don't just lease a, a salon, buy the building. Right, right. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Absolutely. And, and, and you can't not not forget these people who paved the way for you. You have to pay homage. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. There's and there's so many. There's so many. There's so many. The wonderful things, especially. I think about Bobby Ben. Oh, and the yeah. shows that he was doing. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. I'm never yeah. taking the bus to go to North Carolina to the Bobby Bennett show. Mm -hmm. And that inspired me to have my local shows because right. of Bobby Bennett. Yeah. So so you can't, you, you have to, you you know, we why would we reinvent why would we create things and try to reinvent things that's already there? You just put you just fine-tune and put your little touch Exactly. On. Exactly. Yep, that was my whole philosophy when I came into the business. It's like, okay, if somebody else already bumped their head, then do I have to do that? Why don't I just find them and see what they tell me and do that? Absolutely. <laughs> it shortens the curve, I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> but I do believe, you know, to be the best, you got to hang out with the best. And that's, and that's true. Beauty Superstars' is, talk is all about. And um, you mentioned Carolyn Marshall Covington. It's like she is going to be um, my guest for this Life Changers thing in two weeks. So she, uh, I don't know if you know, Mr. Bennett, but um, she's lost her sight. And, I don't know that. Yeah, yeah, she's lost her sight. But she, I said, she's still a person with like the more vision than a lot of people with their sight. And so she is creating businesses and just as busy as can be. But she... Oh like you say, trained a lot of stylists through the years. She was actually one of my first mentors, um, kind of sideways. She's the person that taught me how to do weaving and extensions and all of that um, before she left DC. And then we reconnected when I moved here to North Carolina, which I didn't even, I had forgotten she was here, but we mm -hmm. reconnected. 
and she is just still just as fabulous. And so I can't wait to talk to her um, about her experiences and what she's up to now. And she's helped people with getting products started. And she's just, like you say, a wealth of information, a wealth of knowledge and so inspiring. And next week is Denise Michelle. We've got, um, she started Mentorship Academy, which um, has grown and grown and grown. And it's like, and people leave there like in tears and, you know, just with their spirit changed. And so she's going to be here with us next week to share about that and some of the new things she has up as well. And then we'll end the year with Darius Peace, who is kind of um, the one of the newer kids on the block, I guess you could say, for natural hair. But he's created some natural hair techniques that are changing the industry. And he's all about helping people with their business. He runs a fabulous um, salon uh, in Birmingham, uh, Haya Beauty. And he has um, all kinds of classes and a big community that he's built where he's helping uh, natural hairstylists in particular to be able to build strong businesses. And so, yeah, we're going to close out the year with him. And um, and you don't even know what's what's in store for January. I'm still working on it, so I won't tell you anything, but we've got some good, good, good stuff to really kick off the year because I wanted to end this with inspiration and just a sense that you could, um, you know, 2020 has been tough, but it's not the only thing that's going to be tough in our lives if we, you know, are blessed to live. It's like, Amen. And um, and, you know, you in particular and others have been through some stuff, you know, before this. Um, And so we will make it through this, you know, just be inspired. Keep putting one foot in front of the other. You know, like you said, you know, Mr. Bennett said, go and take that quiet time. Listen, what is your next step? What is this for? What are the lessons you need to learn um, to make yourself much better for um, for 2021? And as we close out this year. Um, so I've got lots of stuff lined up for the new year. I'm excited about it. And um, I want to thank everybody that's here, that's listening to us live. You you hung with us because it's like we're, we're definitely a little over, but it's like I enjoyed every second. So don't even feel like you talked uh, too much or anything like that because it's like we've got so much out of today. So I really, truly appreciate you being here, taking time out of your schedule because I know you are a busy bee as well. <laughs> you got a lot of stuff going on. But um, yeah, we really appreciate your story. For anybody that's watching um, on the replay, we appreciate you as well. It's like if you are on YouTube with us, definitely be sure to subscribe and hit the bell so you won't miss any of these episodes coming up. And um, and then also um, with the podcast, it's like I'll put the information on it right now. Like I said, we're on Podbean, but we're going to be on everywhere. So um, just stay tuned in the next few weeks, definitely before the end of the year, everything should be there. And um, marketing is always a big thing. It's like I found an email marketing service that I'm absolutely loving because it makes them look beautiful, which is really important being part of the beauty industry. And it's super easy to use. So if you're interested in that, um, it's called Flowdesk, which is F-L-O-D-E-S-K dot com. And you just put uh, forward slash Mickey Wright behind it, just M-I-K-I-W-R-I-G-H-T. And you get a free month to try it out, see if you like it. And from then on, it's $19 a month, which is phenomenal forever and however many people you get on your list. But it's a great way to stay in contact with your clients, especially during this time to kind of keep them posted, keep them with the specials that you're putting out, any trainings and stuff that you're doing. It's like you can do video and all that kind of good stuff. So um, I guess we will call it an evening. Like I said, Mr. Bennett, thank you so much. I am very, very grateful. And thank you. Uh, 
yeah, it's like I I don't even know where to start to kind of put some things together. Like, okay, what were the key points? But if any of you guys have some key takeaways, um, definitely put them um, below. It's like we've got. Um, let's see a few things. I like to try to show some of the comments there. Inga Waring, he's a phen phenomenal man. It's like we've got some hand claps from Sherry Bowman Daniels. God bless you, Mr. Bennett. And let's see here. Oh, okay. If I can get that up. <laughs> yes, for being a stylist at Christmas. <laughs> we love the blessings. <laughs> and uh, educate your clients. It's like we got so many um, just wonderful comments here. Eh, if I can get it to go off there. And um, yep. And hair tells everything. <laughs> so I guess we will leave it right there. But thank you so much. You enjoy your evening. And we will look forward to hearing all about the, the Kidney Cafe and where that's going to be airing so we can, can follow and get ourselves and our friends and our family healthier as we move into this new year. So thank you. And I thank you. Yeah. Continued blessings. You take good care. Everyone. Yes. Thanks again. We'll look forward we'll to talk soon. Next Tuesday, 7 p.m., I'll be back. So I'll be here with Denise Michelle. So take good care. I'll see you then. All right. Thank you, everyone.